in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels. He helps but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Yes, are you quite right? This week is a complete week of stand-ins. None of us started this week thinking we were going to do this, but hey, uh, if we can have the slides up and I'll... uh, Yeah, fabulous. So, we're continuing in our series on the Apostles' Creed, and I don't know how you're finding it, but I really enjoy reading it. So we're all going to read it together, and we're going to say it together as well, and if this works well then we will start. So, will you join with me and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried, He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He is seated, oh sorry, descended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And it will come. This is why they say never do everything at the same time, isn't it? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Yeah, I've learnt now not to try and move my notes, which didn't want to move at the same time as trying to press buttons on this. It doesn't work. Well, our section today, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. Now, I want to start with a disclaimer. I am not going to try and unpack everything that is possibly in those words. If I did, well, A, you wouldn't be getting home this side of 24th of December. And there's so much in there. 
There's so many different ways we could go, so many different journeys that we could take as we, as we just look at those simple words. So I thought, where do I start? So as I reflected on this, I thought, what's the purpose of the creed? Why was it written in the first place? Because it's not meant to be a replacement for the Bible. It's not even really meant to be a simple aid mem memoir. In, in many ways, this creed exists to help you and I to not misread the biblical text, to understand those foundations of what it means to be a Christian. So we understand something about what the one God in three persons is like, what the church is like, what you and I are like, and what we can expect from God. And so with this in mind, I guess there are three things. I wouldn't be a Baptist if I didn't have a three-point sermon, so I have three things that I think we're meant to be trying to grapple with today. And the first is this. There is trouble in paradise. Because if you think about how this creed has started, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. You know, it's, it's, it's glorious, isn't it? It's divine. We've, we've got God making all things from nothing. It's perfect. And I believe in Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. It, it's, it's divine again. It's perfect. It's wonderful. He, you can get lost in the glory of, of this perfect God. And then suddenly, seemingly out of left field, we get Jesus suffering, crucified, dying. It's shocking. We've gone from this perfect picture of, of wonderfulness and suddenly into something which is truly awful. And that's because when, when we read the Bible, we need to remember some things. We need to remember, firstly, I would suggest that humanity has rejected God. Suffering, crucifixion, a rejection of God that is complete. John put it like this, didn't he? You know, that beautiful gospel beginning, in the beginning was the word, and then by verse 10, he was in the world. And the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. There's a rejection of God by human beings that is a, a thread that goes through the whole of our experience. It's a thread that goes through the whole of the Bible. It's something we need to remember as we read Scripture, that there is an inbuilt rejection in you and in me towards God. But worse than that, it's not just a rejection. Crucifixion wasn't just a painful death, though painful it is. It was a casting out. It was a humiliation. It was a shaming of God. Ben Myers, in his commentary on the Apostles' Creed, put it like this, to be crucified was to be cast out of the human community, rejected by God and the world, 
It was literally a fate worse than death. We know from, from when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it wasn't, an, it wasn't a solitary event. A bit like public executions used to be here. They, they were crowd pleasers. People would rock up to see the, the condemned die. And in the French Revolution, it was the guillotine. Here, it was often hanging. They're, they're reasonably quick things, whereas this crucifixion was no short event. Hanging on that cross, there's a, a straining to breathe as, as you try and lift your body up on your legs because your shoulders have given out, but your legs are nailed to a cross through the ankle bones. So you start to lose control because of the pain of all your bodily functions and, and you're straining to breathe and when your legs can no longer take it, you slump and your shoulders slowly dislocate. It's not designed simply to be painful, it's designed to be shaming. The crowd surrounding you, mocking you. Look at him. Can't you save yourself? Deride him. It's no surprise that Jesus then cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Reminding everybody, because they would have known it, of Psalm 22. It's the opening line of Psalm 22. And verse 6 says, But I am a worm and not human, <coughs> scorned by others and, and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They sneer at me. They shake their heads. This was not just a rejection of God by humanity. It was a shaming of God. That can't be your God. How, how, how could have God been so, so shamed? It's utterly scandalous. If you think back to what society was at the time to... To say, this is our saviour. You're stepping out of respectable society and stepping into the society of the shamed and the despised, the derided, the mocked. You're identifying with the one who's cursed of God, according to their thinking. And the early church... Now Paul, as was his custom on the Sabbath days, went into synagogues and he argued from the scriptures saying and explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you. The creed's quite shocking when you start to think of it from that perspective. But the Messiah that we have placed our faith and trust in took on the most shameful things on our behalf. It also tells us something, this creed, that, that Christ wasn't fully divine alone. He was fully divine and fully human. He stepped into humanity. God stepped into humanity 
on our behalf. Irenaeus, who was a, a church leader in the second century, said this, he did not reject human nature or exalt himself above it. Becoming an infant among infants, he sanctified infants. Becoming a child among children, he sanctified those having this age. Becoming a young adult amongst young adults, he was an example for young adults and sanctified them to the Lord. Lastly, he came even to death so that he might be the firstborn from among the dead. Himself holding primacy in all things, the author of life, prior to all and going before all. The glorious good news is that although humanity rejected God, God did not reject us. He did not reject you or reject me. He instead took on our struggles, took on all of those things, our, our mortal frailty. The joys of our existence that we've already acknowledged here today took on our birth, even took on our death. He endured and overcame them all. Every single aspect of our lives. I was, I was thinking as I was just going through my notes this morning, you know, Jesus learned to walk just like we learned to walk. And he learned to talk in the same way that we did. He was weaned and toilet trained. We don't often think of these things, but we, we, we place Jesus in a lovely little manger, no crying he makes, the one Christmas carol. I'm sorry, Richard, I can't, uh, I can't subscribe to. I bet Jesus cried. But other things he took on, dealing with brothers and sisters. I'm an only child. It's a mystery to me how siblings endure each other. I had quite a, an idyllic uh, childhood in that way. I had nobody saying he did it. It was him. And yet Jesus lived in that environment. He learned to work. He learned to work with his hands. He didn't, he didn't take on this divine knowledge and go, I now know all things. No, I'm pretty certain he wasn't born and said, hi, mum. All of the things that we have gone through, he went through. It's a stunning thought. We often put Jesus up on a pedestal, don't we? And he deserves to be there. He deserves our worship. But we forget there is nothing that we have endured that he hasn't faced himself. I thought I'd get a little bit more modern, so I've stepped into the fourth century now. Gregory of Nyssa. The birth makes the death necessary. He who had decided to share our humanity had to experience all that belongs to our nature. Now, human life is encompassed within two limits, and if he had passed through one and not the other, he would have only half fulfilled his purpose. Our whole nature had to be brought back from death. Thus he stooped down to our dead body and stretched out a hand, as it were, to one who lay prostrate. He approached so near death, he came into contact with it. This wasn't a mere experience. I, I've just come back from holiday. You know, and uh, John said that I'd have to weave something of my holiday in. Well, I'm just going to say I went to holiday. And very often when we go on holiday, we bring back some souvenirs, some memories, some photographs to put up on the, 
well, if you still print them out to put in a frame and put on the mantelpiece or, or things like that. But no, this wasn't a, a mere holiday jaunt from, for God where he kind of stepped down into humanity and went, oh, that's nice, took some pictures and headed home. He lived it. And he died. It was a transformative takeover to change the course of human history. It was turning on its head everything that had been previously. It was a rescue mission for the broken and corrupted creation, which was so good and which humanity had made so bad. It was a turning on its head of everything that the world said was good. The best of the powerful. No, Jesus says, it's the servant to all who is to be exalted. It says in Matthew, it will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. The best are those who are in the high position, in the, in the best jobs, with the, the best roles. No. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's the humble, not the haughty. But Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him even more highly. And gave him the name that is above every other name. God's kingdom plan is wildly, radically, magnificently different from all that humanity lusts after, chases after. The brokenness of the fallen creation is confronted and repaired by the paradoxical God who is both fully divine and fully human. There's a big risk in that strategy, though, isn't there? It could sound like a fanciful myth made up by somebody at some point just to, to do something. It could have been a subverted takeover plot by the underlings. We're going to spread this rumor and we'll somehow gain power for ourselves. Knowing what the Greeks are like, it could have even been a thought experiment, couldn't it? Something where we just think, oh, well, what might be possible if we did? Oh, there we go. Doesn't need any practical application. Doesn't mean I've got to change the way I live. It's just a good idea, isn't it? Suffered under Pontius Pilate. The creed gives us an anchor in history that says this wasn't just some fanciful idea that some folk made up. The Gospels are actually a, 
ancient account, bioi, bios, uh, accounts of a real living human being, someone who was real, that existed. There's not a single serious academic of history that says Jesus didn't exist. We saw some of that last week with John and the documentary evidence. Karl Barth puts it like this. The name of Pontius Pilate is a historical anchor. It prevents us from turning the Christian faith into a set of general truths about the world. It reminds us that the gospel is not an idea, but a fact. The creed reminds us that the gospels are not some fanciful novel with interesting plot and characters to entertain. They're there to account how Christ's divinity and humanity came out of God's desire to redeem the whole of creation. By being rooted in history, by being actual fact, the life and works of Christ speak out a redemption that's complete, it's holistic, it affects the, the mind, the soul, the body, so that those who trust him don't simply have to assent to some intellectual pattern, but can have a life-changing relationship with the living God. And because Christ's life was fully on show, it's, it's not subject to some secret or hidden knowledge which I have and you do not have. It's all there on show. Christ's life lived demonstrates that God not only observes human life, but has experienced it. That he knows what it's like to be you and me. So where you're tempted to sin and you fail and stumble, Christ was tempted to sin but overcame. Where you were denounced or derided, Christ was denounced and derided. Where you were rejected, he was rejected. Where you struggle, he struggled. Witnessed by a shed load of people who weren't disinterested bystanders, but who lived with him, ate with him, walked on journeys with him, slept alongside him, shared in his life. So friends, taking hold of faith in Christ is not just grabbing an idea. It's about accepting a life-changing relationship with a God who knows what it's like to be you. Who understands you and wants to have a transforming relationship that will turn brokenness into beauty. That will, will do something that establishes God's kingdom more and more throughout the whole of this creation. Each time you trust, it's like a new heart joining into the gospel narrative as Christ again again says, welcome, go and sin no more. The creed reminds us that a gospel without suffering is no gospel at all. For we suffer, so we needed a suffering servant to redeem us. The creed reminds us that without the humanity of Christ, our redemption could not be completed. 
The creed reminds us that our faith is much more than ideas. It's transformative life. And as Richard was saying earlier, every time we go, what is God doing with me? What is God seeking to change in me to make me more like Jesus? Each change makes a massive difference to this world because this creation becomes more as God intended it to be. As we bump along that road. We started with John reading from Hebrews. I think it's fitting that we end with the same reading because it sums up everything I wanted to say. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share, the flesh, share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Amen, Lord God. Make it so for you and me that we might accept your help in times of trouble and suffering and attain your promise of freedom from the stain and fear of death and from the slavery of sin. Amen.